So, we're going to be in Genesis 1. Uh, if you're not really familiar with the Bible, it's the first chapter of the first book in the Bible. So you get past the table of contents and you are there. Genesis chapter 1 is what we're going to be in this morning. If then, if dot dot then, if arrow then, whatever we want to say. There's a, uh, Derek, you may have to help me out because I'm going to butcher this, but I did love uh, like psychology and one of my favorite things in that whole realm of study was like logic uh, and reasoning. So it's inductive and deductive reasoning. You don't remember that part of your schooling? Deductive reasoning says that if this is true, then this is also true. I can conclude why because I have identified X, right? So if, uh, if, if, all, if, if, if all people named Mike are human and your name is Mike, you must be a human, right? You see how that works? So we're going to use that same logic in the scriptures, and we're going to look at it and say, if this is true, then this is also true, okay? So begin to think, uh, and, and if the condition, and then then becomes our action. If the condition is actually true, then this is what I have to do with it, Right? Uh, but so many times we can read the scriptures and just say, I wonder if that's true. Or, wow, that's really cool that that is true. But we never get to the then. And we never apply these truths to our lives to actually bring about significant change or the desire that God has for us. Uh, in a goose, goose, they have this thing called imprinting. Anybody ever heard of imprinting with geese? Imprinting with geese. So apparently with a goose, and maybe with a duck too, uh, but... When a goose hatches, the first larger object that they see, living object that they see, they immediately see themselves as that and they believe that they are that. So it's very important that a goose sees its mother as soon as it's hatched because then it imprints on the mother, identifies as a goose, and therefore begins to walk like a goose, quack like, I don't know if goose is quite, squawk, honk, 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 whatever, you know what goose do. So a goose, the first thing it sees when it's hatched, it imprints on, and that means it identifies as. So if, if, if Andrew is the first thing a goose sees when, when it is hatched, then the goose believes and is convinced, he doesn't think, he doesn't wonder, he is convinced that I am a human, I am a man. And he's going to follow Andrew, and he's going to learn from Andrew, and he's going to identify as Andrew. That's what the goose would do if it saw Andrew first. So it's very important that a goose would see its mother so that it would be identified as a goose. My, my, my second boy, Justice, third kid, second boy. Y'all tracking with that? That's what happens when you have four, that you've got to count and identify. Justice, Justice has imprinted on my dad. He believes that he is a cowboy because one of the first things he saw as a young man was my dad with a handlebar mustache, a cowboy hat, and boots. So justice has imprinted on my dad and he believes he does not think, he does not hope, he does not wish to be, he believes he is a cowboy. 
He is a cowboy. I am a cowboy. Oh, sorry. It's just... Oh, my gosh. If you guys understood what's in my head, you would be very disturbed, and you would go find somewhere else to worship this morning. Um, but, but he believes he's a cowboy. He is imprinted on my grandpa, my, my dad, his grandpa, his pawpaw, right? So let me ask you this. What, who or what has most shaped your understanding of yourself? Who or what has most shaped your understanding of yourself? Where did you receive that? I don't ask hypothetical questions in here. This is discussion-based teaching in here. So this is a real legit question. Who has most influenced your view of yourself? Who have you imprinted from? Come to see yourself as because of them. For good, for worse, for neutral, whatever it is. They have, your dad? So you've imprinted to somewhat with your father. Dad? Oh my gosh. I'm glad you don't have his goatee. At least it didn't go that far. I saw him at Amplify last night walking, and it's like, there's 20,000 people out there, and I see that goatee walking down, right? And it's just, so Dad, who else? Who or what? Dad. Yeah. Mom? It's interesting. There's three females so far, and only one of them said mom. That, I'm, just, I'm not going to go psychologist on you this morning, but it's just interesting. It's interesting. Dad and grandpa. But you see how that works? Like you begin to see yourself in light of that person. Because of, because of that person, I see myself significantly different. I think different. I act different. I desire different because of that person. They, they, they become, a, like I've said before, they become a mirror for how I see myself. Right? Now, when you get married, and not just engaged to be engaged, Andrew, but when you get married, here's what's going to happen is, that's a whole other conversation. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> but when you get married, and some of you already have, you bring into it, because of because of that person you just told me, you bring into your marriage a whole list of expectations that you don't even know exist. Because my dad did this, thought this, acted this, or was this, I now expect you to do this, think this, act this, expect this. And the funny thing is, you're going to wade through this in the first 15 years of your marriage, and you're going to realize that for so long, you expect him to be your dad. It, you, you wouldn't say it like that, but here's the deal is Shelly is, she sees herself greatly because of her father as well. And when it comes Valentine's day, she just kind of comes up to me and says, have you got the kids, their stuffed animals? I didn't even thought about getting our kids stuffed animals. Well, my dad did all the time growing up. It's a, it's, it's a understood, it's just this underlying expectation that comes in because of who you've imprinted on, right? And you're going you're gonna to almost lay that on your spouse without even recognizing it. Anyways, that is completely not the point of where we're going this morning. It's just a, 
just an additional tidbit for you. So here's the deal. Over the past two weeks, um, Blaine and I had a little conversation about this yesterday, but over the past two weeks, I have been overwhelmed by the amount of brokenness that surrounds us. And by brokenness, I just mean our lives and how completely hurt people are, how completely in distress people are, how complete uh, depression, anxiety, addiction, our past, our present, just overwhelmed by the reality of the brokenness that we all exist in. Yeah. And, and Blaine and I had a conversation yesterday. Blaine says, well, I, you know, and we've had it in here as well. He says, I kind of feel alone. And then I'm like, you're not alone, Derek. We had this conversation up here the other day. It's just like, in your own brokenness, you begin to feel alone and like you're the one. But from where I sit, I'm like, dude, we got a room full of brokenness every Sunday. And, and like everybody I encounter, every story I hear, every person I meet in the streets throughout the week, it's the exact same thing. We are all just identified by how broken and how in distress and anxiety and fear and depressed we are. The world we live in is so so completely messed up. The homes we live in are often a reflection of that. And, and, and our stories are just completely broken. Okay? But here's the deal. If you view yourself, if you imprint yourself on the world that you live in, you begin to see yourself according to the world that you live in, that brokenness is going to continue to increase and, and multiply in your life. If you go to work every day and your identity comes from the story that's unfolding in your job, it's going to continue to get worse. If you, if you look in your home and, and how, how, how frustrating your home life is and how frustrating your family is and, and your identity and you imprint on how well that's doing or how poor that's doing and that becomes your defining mark for who you are, it's going to get worse. But there's a story, there's, there's a narrative that we find in Scripture. We, we say the story of God, the narrative of Scripture, whatever, however we want to describe this. If we would begin to identify ourselves and see ourselves according to the story of God that unfolds throughout history and in the scriptures. Whatever you are in, whatever brokenness you endure, whatever struggle you encounter, if you can begin to imprint yourself on the story of God, you have victory in whatever you do. Whatever you do. You won't define yourself by your job. You won't define yourself by your family. You won't define yourself by your income. You won't. None of that stuff will be, will, will, will produce your identity. We want to equip you to look into the historical story of God found in the narrative of the scriptures. To look at that and to find yourself so that you can walk in victory. That's what we want to do. Because otherwise, you're going to look at your marriage, you're going to look at your job, you're going to look at whatever you've got going on, and you're going to add to the brokenness that I'm just consumed by on a daily basis. There's a better story to be told, and we're going to start telling it this morning. I want to equip you 
to imprint on the story of God, then I want to equip you to take that and to hold that in front of others so they too can walk in the victory that God promises. Okay? So, number one, we're speaking good news to each other. But secondly, in that, we're learning to speak good news to others. Okay? This doesn't begin, it begins with us, but it ends with us being valuable in the world we live in. Okay? So here we go. Uh, We want to transform our thinking and our doing. That's the goal of the next four discussions that we're going to have. Transform our thinking and our doing. There's four themes that we find in the story of God. Four themes. If you're a note taker, a picture taker, whatever you are, memorize these four themes. You got the creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. In the Bible, somebody tell me how many individual books are in the Bible. 66 individual books make up one book that we call the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, etc., etc., etc. There's 66 individual writings that are compiled into one text that we call the Bible. So in that, 66 written by many different authors over a period of probably 2,000 years, we've got all of that put together and it seamlessly works together in one narrative that we call the story of God. And in those 66 books with many authors, 2,000 years, number one, we see creation, we see the fall, we see the redemption and the restoration. And we're going to make sense of those as we go through the next four sessions together. So this morning we look at creation. Found in Genesis chapter 1, creation. So we are going to read all of chapter 1. Some of you are like, dude, I hadn't read a whole chapter in years. We're going to do it together this morning. Right? The verse of the day on the Bible app is, is good. But sometimes going ahead and, and, and reading an entire chapter so you can see a greater context and more of that story is better. Okay? Each one serves its purpose. So read with me if you got it. Genesis chapter 1. I will read out loud. Anybody know who wrote Genesis? Y'all like those squirrels that I chase? Anybody know who wrote the book of Genesis? Moses. Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. The Jews call that the Torah or the law. So it's the first section of the scripture. Moses is the author. Here we go. Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness covered the surface of the watery depths. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw the light was good And God separated the light from the darkness. 
God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. There was an evening, and there was a morning, one day. Then God said, Let there be an expanse between the waters, separating water from water. So God made the expanse and separated the water under the expanse from the water above the expanse. And it was so. God called that expanse sky. Evening came, and then morning and the second day. Then God said, Let the water under the sky be gathered into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the gathering of the water is called seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let the earth produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants and fruit trees on the earth, bearing fruit with seed in its according to their kinds. And it was so. The earth produced vegetation, seed-bearing plants according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Evening came, then the morning, the third day. Then God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the sky to separate the day from the night. They will serve as signs for seasons and for days and years. They will be lights in the expanse of the sky to provide light on the earth. And it was so. God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule over the day and the lesser light to rule over the night, as well as the stars. God placed them in the expanse of the sky to provide light on the earth, to rule the day and the night, and to separate light from darkness. God saw that it was good. Evening came in the morning, the fourth day. Then God said, Let the water swarm with living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth, across the expanse of the sky. So God created the large sea creatures and every living creature that moves and swarms in the water. According to their kind, he also created every winged creature according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the waters of the seas, and let the birds multiply on the earth. Evening came and then morning, the fifth day. Then God said, Let the earth produce living creatures according to their kinds, livestock, creatures that crawl, and the wildlife of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. So God made the wildlife of the earth according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that crawl on the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. They will rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, and the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them, male and female. God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, Rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and every living creature that crawls on the earth. God also said, Look, I have given you every seed-bearing plant on the surface of the entire earth and every tree whose fruit contains seed. This will be food for you, for all the wildlife on the earth, for every bird of the sky and every creature that crawls on the earth. Everything having the breath of life in it I have given every green plant for food and it was so God saw all that he had made 
and it was very good indeed. Evening came, and then morning, the sixth day. Genesis chapter 1. Now I'm going to warn you, the rest of my notes are pretty skimpy. I usually have two pages of notes. This morning I have three quarters of one page. But I have four questions. And the rest of our time together are going to be based off those four questions. Okay? I want us to work together to fill in the gaps. So, here's the rules. And we struggled with this as men the other night in our DNA group. Here's the rules. Answer the question that is asked according to the scripture that has been read. We don't fill in the blanks with other scripture that we know from some other place or other assumptions that we've brought in. We're looking at Genesis 1 and we're answering the question that's been asked. Okay? Now, not to say that whatever other scriptures you have memorized or in the back of your head aren't valuable, but they're distracting in this activity. Okay? Because there's things that we gloss over in the text and we don't allow ourselves to see. So, when we answer these questions, let's answer them according to Genesis chapter 1. Question number 1. According to Genesis 1, who is God? What does Genesis 1 say about the nature and the character of God? Just quite simply, who is God? God is creator. Okay? Keep them going. Thanks for taking the easy one, though. That's cool. He was in the beginning. So what's another word we use for that? Well, that, yeah. So don't, I'm trying not to make assumptions. So he was first in the beginning. Before, wow. Before anything else was, he was, right? I wanted to go to eternal, but this doesn't even play into that yet. It just says he was before. It doesn't say yet that he will be after. So right now we know that before anything else existed, he existed. What else does it say about who God is? What are you thinking, Mark? Go ahead. He's what? Giver. Explain that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just thinking that falls with Creator, but also, but not only did He create it, like you said, He gave He gave that some of that to specific things, like He gave some of that to man. He was the one that produced and, and gave 
live. So yeah, I'm rolling with you. Rolling with you. I think that shows that he's a planner because okay. all these things have purposes. Okay. Planner purpose full. We understand where that's going. Okay. What else? He was a speaker. He spoke everything he said. He's okay. Like poof, there it is. Yeah. Speaker, uh, power in his word. He's powerful. I look at the when he spoke, creation came about. Um, so another way to kind of paint that imagery for us is it's, it's part of his sovereignty, his kingship. He has all authority to where when he speaks, everything moves. The only other, the only other comparable role on earth is that of a king that has that kind of authority within his jurisdiction. So he's the king over everything to where when he speaks, everything responds. King of... What else? Okay. Goes back to what we talked about a couple weeks ago. But this is... So that's going to really trip you out because a few weeks ago he was an adopted father, but he adopted those that he originally owned to begin with. He had to buy them back. That goes back to our ransom and redemption discussion we had as well. So you begin to see that whole narrative kind of unfold. So what else? Yeah, let's get to that when we get to man. I think we can explain a little bit of kind of what that means when we get to the third question on our our list. Okay, Uh, I'm going to say creative. Go outside and look around at springtime. I have an artistic bone in my body, but you know what I can do? I can redraw what I see. I can draw anything I need to draw as long as there's already a picture for me to draw. But when it comes to being able to create something out of nothing, I I, I don't really have that in me. And that's what it says when he, uh, it says um, he created. If you go to the Hebrew and understand what it says when he created, it means that he actually made something from nothing. And he's the only one that that word has ever been used with in any literature or any scripture. That belongs to him and him alone. I think there's a difference in, and I was going to say maker. He's, he's a creator as well as a maker. There is a difference. You can create something, but you can't, like I say, you take a piece of wood, you can make something out of a piece of wood, you didn't create it, but it's still wood. Mm-hmm. You've given it a name. You've refashioned it. But it's still wood. Yeah. 
Yeah. Anything else? Anything else? Fair. Who? Fair. Fair? He's separated. But it's deep, you know. He fish and see it There wasn't anything I touched. He filled everything even. Thorough. Balanced. <laughs> so let me go to question number two for you. Question number two. What? has he done? That may seem redundant, but it's not. This is who he is. And we believe as a church that who we are is far more important than what we do. Because if what we do is more important than who we are, then our identity comes from what we do. But our identity comes from who God is. As Father, Son, and Spirit, and that drives what we do. So think, don't, don't think that these are redundant because they build off of each other. What has he done when we read Genesis chapter 1? He created. Created what? Okay. But look at this, though. He's not a creator because he created everything. He created everything because it's in his nature to be a creator. Uh, This may sound like Dr. Seuss to you. He's a giver. So what did he give? He gave life. Okay. What else has he done? You know, what's bad in creation is he created things that you can touch. And he created so much more than just things that you can touch. Like time and gravity and the laws of physics and ideas and organization and, you know, the ability to replicate and. Yeah, I don't even know. What you just said kind of had a light bulb in my head, and I don't even know how to write it down, but in creating... The physical, he created, in creating tangible things, he created the intangible things as well because they go hand in hand. So we have theories, but he already created laws that uphold our theories, right? Our scientific theories 
come back to his artistic handiwork and what he established in the beginning. So uh, I'm going to say that he created laws, uh, including laws of nature. Maybe that's somewhat sufficient to, to explain what you just said, yet strangely insufficient. Okay. Uh, what has he done? I'm going to say uh, he speaks or spoke. He is not silent. God has spoken. He has made himself known. He has declared something to be. Um, Many people have an idea about a God who is unknowable and has not revealed himself. That is not the idea of Scripture. The idea of Scripture is that he has created and made himself known to his creation. He has spoken and, and revealed himself. Okay? By saying... Oh, cool. Okay. Okay. He blessed. I'm going to say and declared it good. What did he say after every day? He looked at what he had done and he said, it's good. We'll get into that next week about what happened and why it's no longer good. But it's good. It's good. Okay? He created purpose. Or gave purpose. Huh. Uh, he made all creation to multiply. Right? He set it in motion, but then he created the potential for it to continue through the multiplication process without him speaking over it again. He created seeds, created the ability for man and woman to, to recreate, to have children. He said every seed-bearing plant will reproduce according to its kind. You know, so he, he put things in motion that were going to continue without him continuing to have to recreate. So he, he, he made all creation to thrive off of itself, right? Every, every day that was spoken into existence was dependent upon the other days spoken to existence. I don't think he did that. I think he made other creation to allow each other. Yeah. Not on itself, because that's what I'm dealing with right now. Yeah, not on itself, but the, the other parts of his creation. Right. Yeah. So 
So he put, there's a harmony between all creation that was put in motion to where it, it, it thrives as it operates together. He didn't create anything to operate in isolation. He created everything to operate together. Right? What's that say about his character? Right? I mean, if, if these things come from these things because he existed in the beginning before anything else so everything that exists is a representation of his character and if he created all things to operate well as they operate in harmony with each other what does that say about his character but that he operates in community existed in community as the Father, Son and Holy Spirit before we ever existed as the body of Christ Right? Before neighborhoods existed, he was his own neighbor. <laughs> Let us, what's it say? Let us make man in our image. Uh, who on earth is he talking about? Because he was the only one in the beginning except for the fact that when you turn to John chapter 1, you find that Jesus is active in creation too. And when, when God says, let us, let us as the Father, let us as the Son, let us as the Holy Spirit make man in our image so that He, too, might be a representation of the nature and character of God. To operate in harmony with the rest of creation, not in isolation, because it's never, it's never been His character to, to be isolated which is a mind-blowing thing because when we begin to tell ourselves we're the only one, when we begin to tell ourselves this is all about me, when we begin to hide in that hole and think that, that, that nobody else understands, we are being fed lies that go against the character and the nature of God in order to dig you deeper in that hole so that you never get out. But if we even go back to Genesis 1, we see that that is a lie too because I was not made to live in isolation, but I was created to operate. And when I operate well with the rest of what God has made, then we all benefit. We all benefit. So question number three. Who are we, when we started getting into this, look at that, somebody wrote on our banner. Somebody with a blue marker. Who was that? Who are we in light of all of this? What does the text say about our identity? You know I don't know how to spell. Now define it for me. What do you mean by that? We benefit from it. Couldn't we have said benefactors? Beneficiaries. Okay, so we benefit from God's character and His creation. We're also a product of it. So we, if He's creator, then we are created. Let's linger there for a second. Everything we just said about everything He's made, He's created with a purpose, intent, Intentional. What else do we say about his creation? Uh, to live in community, 
What else do we say about his creation? That it, oh, dang, we're going to mess with our own heads now. He said his creation is good. That he has a plan for all his creation. He is, if, if he is a father, then I am a child. Right? If all that is true about his creation, and if I am the created, then all that is true about me. Which one is the hardest to believe for you? Yeah, Stephen's over there being really quiet because he's not a very loud speaker. But what he said is really profound. Uh, Because once you get to thinking, it's like, okay, there's a plan. That God created all things with a plan and a purpose. And we're a part of a story that's bigger than us, right? So here's, here's the timeline of everything. In the beginning, God existed before anything else was. And then there's this moment in time where life began. That's a heartbeat. That's where life began. And then there's been thousands of years previous to us becoming a blip on this radar. And then here we are, and we look around, and we we imprint ourselves on the life that we live and on the surroundings that we have, and we begin to find our identity according to my brokenness, my mess, my home, my job, my money, all these things, and we say, that's who I am. But then we back up and we realize that we're a part of this story that where, where there's a creator and a created and a purpose and intentionality and a community and this, this thing that's unfolding in the, in the timeline of history. And we say, this has been going on for thousands of years. This is my moment. I am not defined by my circumstances, my situation, and my immediate context. I'm defined by this story. The one that says, I have a creator, I have a father, I have a purpose, I have a role in this story. The story is not about me. The story is about the one who began all things. In the beginning, he was. It's not in the beginning, Derek. It's not in the beginning, Greg. It's in the beginning, God. The story is not about me. The purpose isn't about me. It's, it's, it's like a, a movie script, and, and we get to be extras. We get to be, we get to be the people. So I, I remember when they filmed God's Not Dead, they filmed it in this, part of it in this town. And, and it was crazy. I knew people from all over the state that came to Benton so they could be an extra in the movie God's Not Dead, right? And people were blowing up social media because they were on the shoot and they were in this and they were in that and, and whatnot. What's funny was we celebrated that moment as if that was some big thing. But then when you sit down and you watch the movie, I didn't even notice any of my friends. I didn't recognize any of them. 
Why is that? Because the movie's not about them. The storyline wasn't about them. Were they in it? Yes. Did they impact it? Yes. Did they have a visibility in it? Yes. You bet. They, they had a purpose and a plan and a role and all those things, but it was not pointing to them. It was pointing to the main character of the story. Who is the main character of our story? God. God. When do your problems escalate to where they're unbearable? When you believe that you are the main character of your story. That's when everything gets out of hand. That's when everything flips on its head. That's when everything loses control. That's when objects in the mirror appear closer than they are. It's because your things are out of scale. And you put, in the beginning, Mark. (laughs) And you think the storyline's about you. But actually, you're a blip. And the story of God, that when you back up, it's not about me. Do I have a significant role in it? Do you? I mean, so there's two things that happen here. Is you back up and you say, whoo, story's not about me. Praise God that he's the planner, the worker, the creator, the one that's going to do all things. So Greg's stuff is going to work out. Why? Because God's over it all. It's not about me. I can relieve that pressure. But the, uh, maybe the too far is to say, well, because the story's about God and about me, I don't matter. Is that true? No. Because all things in his creation narrative matter. All things in his creation narrative thrive off of each other. And just because the story's not about you doesn't mean you don't play a significant role in the story of God. Because you do. What we do is Salt County. It's, it's not the big deal. It's not the main story. If this thing blows up and becomes something, that's not even the headline. That's just a part of this. That's a part of the story of God where he's unfolding his narrative to show his glory and his purpose and his plan. It's not about us. You can wipe your brow, take a big breath, and realize that you're part of God's plan, creation, all things are working out for his glory. But don't go so far as to think that what you do doesn't matter because it does, because you are part of that plan, part of that story, part of that creation narrative where you have a purpose, you have a story, And he intentionally puts you here for this time and this place for this day. In one way, that sets me free. And on another way, it motivates me. Because what we do matters. Right? What else does this... I don't know if we even need to say more about who we are in this. I think... I think we've hit that... Okay. Where it's not, what, what is the intentional purpose for what I'm going through in this place? And I think that's what I'm wrestling with now. Yeah. Why is it, why is it this, why is it that, where is this? And I keep going back to leading out of your understanding. But I have trouble with it. So Blaine's going through, can I? Okay. I just asked. Yeah. So Blaine, Blaine's 
me and Blaine have a long history. We've been friends, and, and we've, we've served together over, over the last decade. Um, so we've, we've been through some cycles and some seasons together, uh, not just with ministry, but with personal lives. And, and Blaine finds himself at a job that he likes, a job that is providing for his family, a job that is great for him, great for them. Um, yet, there's this thing where um, you become unsettled, you begin to, uh, to wrestle with the, the people that are in your authority, and, and you begin to think, uh, it is, you know what that is, right? Just when you question those that are above you, and then you become unsettled, and you just want to push everybody else off their throne, and you want to take over, and you can do things better, and you can make it happen if people just get out of my way, right? So I used to live in that reality. Every three years, I'd go through that cycle, and I'd have that struggle, and I'd be discontent until the point I left my job, and then I'd have to start all over. Well, that's Blaine's story, too. We, we're, we're in the middle of that, but now we're at a place, I like this job, but I'm wrestling with the same character issues. I, I, I like these things, but now I'm struggling with the same process, and now I'm beginning to see that it's not actually maybe the job but there's some things going in in my heart that I long to see become different. Because I don't want to be in this cycle in another two years. Hmm? Well, yeah. But I think Blaine's been... And, and I... Sometimes we can ask God to change our heart, but I think sometimes... And I think God's doing it right now in Blaine, and maybe somebody else is going to re- resonate with this... God's changing his perspective. And when you have a different perspective, he changes your heart. Because when you say, God changed my heart, you're saying, fix me so I don't have the problem anymore. But if God can change your perspective, now you have value in the story. It's no longer, when you say, God changed my heart, that means eliminate the problem so I don't wrestle with this anymore. I don't want to struggle with this anymore. I don't want to deal with this anymore. That's you saying, God, the story is about my comfort. When God's saying, the story is about me, not you. And if you can get that perspective, then your heart's going to change and your life's going to change. But until then, you're going to say, God, give me the path of least resistance so I don't have to deal with this anymore. When actually the path of greatest resistance might bring him more glory in diminishing yourself and increasing him. And I think that's the story that Blaine has unfolded. That's the story that's unfolded in my life. And that's why James tells you to rejoice in your sufferings. Because in your sufferings it produces perseverance and perseverance hope and hope character. And none of that's going to disappoint because in the next season of life everything you've endured in this season will point to the one who existed in the beginning. And right now you're simply wanting the main thing to be about you. But if we can have our perspective changed, our heart will change, and the things you go through today will bring greater glory to God tomorrow. If we endure. If. That's why Paul says in Romans 8.28, For those who love God and are called according to His purpose, all things work for the good. All things work for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose. And the good that Paul lines out there is your holiness so that you might look more like Jesus and point more towards Jesus. Not your pocketbook. Not your pocketbook. All things work to the good. Sweet, I'm going to stay in this job until I get a better paycheck and less bosses. No. 
You're going to stay in the job until you look and think and act more like Jesus so that you don't point to yourself on a daily basis. You point to the one who the story's about. And your heart's going to change when your perspective changes. Right now, many of us wrestle with the same cycle of situations over and over and over and over because we believe that that little blip in the middle of that story is the main character of the story. You are simply just an extra. I couldn't think of the word. Thanks, Blaine. But if that extra wasn't in, there'd be a gap in the movie and be like, something was wrong. I can't connect the dots. Right? So how do we live? In light of this, who God is, what God's done, who we are, the question now is how do we live? It's the last question. What does this change in the way we live? What's it change? Now, this is the really crappy part of the sermon where you actually say things out loud, and then when you say it out loud, it actually comes into existence. It's like, if, if this is true, let's go ahead and say that. If this is true, if God is creator, if he is king, if he's all those things we said he is, and then if he's done what he said he did, and if we are who we just said we are, then what do we do in light of that? And when we say it out loud, we almost feel accountable to it. So let's go ahead and say it out loud. We live fearlessly. Okay? With purpose. Still dealing with sin every day? Okay. So how do we... If this is true, then how does that impact that? got a little tree drawing that he needs to draw for you here over lunchtime. And he's going to show you a tree where there's fruit hanging on the tree and there's little roots underneath the tree. And it seems like every time, man, I'm just about to let it go. Something else happens. And, you know, I'm right back to the start. And, you know, I, I, I deal with guys every day with problems. I can't think of the problems. And Yeah. So I'm going to label that one as we pursue holiness, not for our own self, but, but to bring greater glory to the one who made us. Right? So we, we, we want to deal with sin, not so that our story looks better, but that we point towards his story in a better light. If this is true, what do we do? How do we live? 
Oh. I will enter community. Do I have freedom to change what you just said? Yeah. Not live in isolation, enter community. If this is true, I'm going to get out of the house. I'm going to go to a DNA group. I'm going to host a dinner at my house so that the Salt County crew can come. I'm going to be hospitable and do those things. If this is true, I'm going to host a dinner so my neighbors can come. If this is true. Anything else? Trust who? I'm going to trust God's dot, dot, dot. Plan, purpose, goodness, all intentions. Okay. Okay. That's how it works, guys. So here's what I encourage you to do. If, then. If that's true, whatever it is, and we just, then I will do this. Begin to read the scriptures like that. Begin to speak to each other like that. I will live fearlessly. I'll live with purpose. I'll pursue holiness. I will enter community and I will trust God's intentions. If I'm not doing that, then I probably have a wrong belief about the character and nature of God that is feeding lies to me, that is creating fear and sin. I want to pray for you. I think these guys are going to lead us in one more song. And after they sing, lunch is available. Let's eat. Hang out, enjoy each other. Father, you are so good to let us see who you are. What you have spoken to us.